You all may be seated. Thank you very much. Hey, good morning, everybody. Lord bless you, whether you want it or not. Um, I have a few announcements to go over with you this morning. Uh, the next woman's study is on February 6th. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, good. You got the slides behind me, right? Okay, I expect to be corrected. I'm used to being corrected. Okay, I live my life under correction. Uh, you're going through what book, Teresa? Experiencing Prayer with Jesus. Experiencing Prayer with Jesus. Okay, so he's there at every meeting, isn't he? That's right. All right. And uh, they can get a hold of Teresa and Marilyn. Are you here, Marilyn? There you are. Okay. And my wife, who's back in the children's church. Uh, speaking of children's church, um, we are looking at having an outreach to a couple of the apartment complexes near Arrowhead Mall. Uh, we are going to rent out or use the amphitheater there. How many of you know the amphitheater right by the AMC theaters, right? And we have Yoli Pacheco coming. Uh, she's a ventriloquist, ventriloquist? Yeah, say that four times fast. And uh, we're looking to reach out to these complexes. There's a, a large amount of people there who are under the poverty level in their living standards and we want to be of practical help and more Importantly, to introduce them to the author of life, that they might have life. So I pray that you will be praying for that. That's coming probably late February, early March. Young adults, are there any young adults here? There's one or two or three. Okay, Dan, you don't qualify. I hate to tell you that, buddy. What's that? Oh, very young at heart. Very young at heart. Anyway, um, we are going through 1 John on, on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. and again at 5 p.m. Uh, if you want to zoom in on that study, you are more than welcome to. We've got about 10 to 12 people who are participating in that, and we'd love to have you too. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, pointed you out in front of everybody. That's not something a pastor is supposed to do. That pastor. All right. Um, Wednesday, next Wednesday, we will have an intercessory prayer evening, and I think given the landscape of our culture right now, and especially the political landscape, it behooves us to get on our knees and seek the Lord on high. He is in control, but he does nothing unless his people will pray for it. So Wednesday night at 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. or 8.15 we go to. Okay, uh, this coming Saturday, Roy will be uh, teaching on our Saturday night study. And then when I come back a week later, we're going to begin the book of Daniel. Things past, things future. And it is very significant for what's going on today. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to begin the book of Hebrews. Um, that is the companion book to Exodus, and it is going to be a fascinating study. It's the book of better things. How many of you would like better things in your life? Yes, okay. I don't mean better cars, okay, better plumbing or anything like that. Just better things in a spiritual sense. And I have a, an announcement concerning the new building that we're looking into. Um, 
we are still negotiating with the uh, owners of the building. So we'll let you know how that goes. We do appreciate your prayers for that. Now you need to understand that a no is just as good as a yes. Um, in Revelation, it tells us that Jesus has the keys of David and he opens doors that no one can shut and he shuts doors that no one can open. And we trust that. And what we do, and, and it's something that should be a lesson for us all, is as God has opened the door, then you step that far forward. Okay, the fact that we made a first offer on this property and they entertained that offer, oh, well, that's a first step forward. It doesn't mean it's all open yet. It just means that's as far as you go. So you don't run ahead. You don't kick open doors. You trust and you follow the Lord one step at a time. And then at any time the door shuts, well, that's just as much an answer as is yes. Now, speaking to that, um, a church in North Scottsdale, Impact Church, has moved to a different location. Not that you are concerned about that, um, unless you want to go to Impact Church. That's up to you. But um, they left a lot of gear at their old location. And the person who bought that building happens to be uh, Joe Buckmaster's boss. Joe Buckmaster and Susan Buckmaster, you guys know them. Well, they left somewhere to the neighborhood of $19,000 worth of media and stage equipment there. And their boss gave it to us. So, yeah, praise the Lord for that. So, um, yeah, yeah, Ben. Woohoo! Um, we uh, will be organizing some crews to go pick it up, and we've got to dismantle some stages and. And there's, there's just so much there. It's just overwhelming, really. I mean, never mind. I won't go any further than that. I'm just going to be thankful to God that we have this opportunity. All right, and I have one final announcement, and I'll get out of the way so the word can be taught. Um, Roy, would you come up here, please? You guys know this man, Roy Rose? Yeah? All right. Now, for the last 13 years, <laughs> the past 13 years, Roy has been a very close friend and a fellow laborer in the work of the Lord here. He's been our youth pastor, he's been an elder, and also serving as a deacon, I guess you would say, right? He does most of the labor around here. Uh, what I'm standing on right now <clears throat> is the byproduct of himself and Mr. David McCarthy over here, who didn't want me to point him out, but I just did anyway. <laughs> and much of what you enjoy here is from their labors. Well, Roy has decided that he wants to become a pastor. Yeah. So he is on the Calvary Chapel School of Theology crash course of pastoring. And we will have an ordination service for him in the first week of May. So that's why you're seeing him fill the pulpit more often and engaging in other teaching engagements. We engaging in teaching engagements, right? <laughs> Redundant. But anyway, um, we wanted you to know that that's what was happening, okay? So with that, Mr. Roy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Roy Rose. <laughs> If I can get my microphone on, it's on. 
Good morning. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pastor. I'm not sure it was Roy that decided to be a pastor. I think it was God saying, this is what you're going to do. And I'm like, no, you've got the wrong guy. You've got to get somebody who knows what they're talking about. And he goes, I've been... He says, I want you, because I'm going to be the one doing the talking. So <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Um, I'm excited. Um, probably... Uh, just as scared as I am excited, but looking forward to what, what God's going to do through this opportunity. He's, he's been such a blessing to be a part of, of what goes on here at Calvary Chapel. I look out at all of the faces here and, and think about just what a blessing it's been to, to get to know all of you guys and bear one another's burdens with you guys. I, th I look out and see all of you have prayed for me at one time or another, and I've prayed for you. So what a, what a sweet thing that we call church when we gather together in fellowship. And the Bible tells us, Pastor Dennis is probably going to teach on it pretty soon when he gets to that point in Hebrews where it says that we're not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. And that's what happens on Sunday mornings. And uh, we're... We're all a bunch of misfits, but we fit together <laughs> in the grace and sovereignty of God because he's called us by name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Can I get you guys to stand for the reading of the word? Turn in your Bibles to almost to the back of the Bible, to the book of James. The book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1 this morning. We started out uh, with the first eight verses a few months ago on a couple of Wednesdays when I was able to teach, and we're going to pick up in verse 9 this morning. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you once again for church. I thank you for the blessing of, of having people to gather together with, Lord, and to, to love each other, to bear one another's burdens, to enjoy the victories and um, console each other in the, in the defeats and uh, all of the things in between. I pray this morning that you would bless your word. As we read it this morning, I pray that it, it would come alive. We know that this is no normal book that we have in our hands. It is a supernatural book that has withstood the, the test of time and has stood up to the greatest minds that the world could produce and and stood the test and even their wisdom lord is laughable compared to your wisdom so this morning as we read i pray that you would open our eyes by the power of your holy spirit you would open our eyes to the truth of what you're teaching us from james this morning in jesus name amen let's just remain standing as we read these verses together starting in verse 9 james says but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers, and the grass withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. This is God's word. You can go ahead and be seated. All right. Historian Shelby Foote tells the story of a soldier that was wounded in the Battle of Shiloh during the American Civil War. He was ordered to go to the rear. The fighting was fierce, and within minutes, he returned to his commanding officer and said, Captain, give me back my gun. This fight ain't got no rear. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're going today. The title of our message today is, Oh, for the love of a good trial and a temptation. We're in a battle. Pastor Dennis reminds us from time to time that life is short and nobody gets out of this thing alive. And uh, it's kind of the same thing with trials and temptations. Uh, anybody, raise your hand if you've never been through any kind of trial or temptation. Larry? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand because we're all, we're all in this together. Um, like I said earlier, we started in James a few months ago. Just a quick reminder of, of the book of James. One of the coolest things about the book of James is that James is actually Jesus' half-brother. And we talked about that. We talked about all of the different Jameses that are mentioned in the Bible. And we um, determined that the the Bible scholars for the last 2,000 years are correct that we believe it. Well, it is James that wrote that, and uh, he hardly ever mentions the fact, actually he doesn't mention the fact that he's Jesus' brother. But, um, so that's the author of the book. The theme of the book of James is patient persevering under trials and temptations. And the, the word that he uses for patience it, in some Bibles, in some versions, it says um, patience. And when you encounter various, let me see, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's the New American Standard. Um, I believe the King James says um, patience. And it's the same word in the Greek, and the word is hupomone, which means hupomone is perseverance, but or being patient but not being idle. You're not, you're not sitting still. It's not like you're going to the doctor's office and you're sitting there waiting on the, you know, the doctor. You're not doing nothing. We're being patient in endurance. It's more like the, the word that we would use for endurance for like a marathon runner. You know, if a marathon runner is getting, what's a marathon, 26 miles? When they get down to the end, they're exhausted and worn out, and, but they're still running. But if they sit down on the park bench then they're no longer in the race, right? But endurance is you're struggling, but you're still in the fight. You're still moving forward. So that's the kind of encouragement that James has given us when he uses that word, uh, hupomone. It's, um, it's a cheerful or hopeful endurance, constantly enduring, patient, uh, patient continuance in waiting. As we... Look back in verse 3, we can see that word endurance. Um, and then one of the 
one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it gives us a list of the fruit of the spirits. One of the, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this, this very endurance. So the, the, um, the trials that James talks about, the, when he says in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, the trials have the ability in our lives to produce fruit. And that fruit is patient endurance. The, because that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be patiently enduring um, during these trials. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. Uh, as, as you look at different versions of this first chapter uh, between the King James and New American Standard, you'll see that the King James uses the word temptations and the New American Standard uses the word trials. It's interesting because the Greek in the Greek language, which is the original language that this text was written in, they only have one word for this, and that, that word is, um, it's pronounced parasmos, and it's spelled P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S, if you're taking notes. It, it means putting to proof uh, by, ex by experiment, by experience, and it's putting to proof specifically through adversity. So when he says trials and temptations, in the original language, it's, a, it's synonymous. But in our English language, it's not really synonymous, is it? When you think of a trial, you think of something that, that's come upon you, right? Uh, and when I think of a trial, I think of um, maybe something that happens to us from an external source. And, and a, maybe it could be a car crash, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, that was out of the blue and you weren't expecting it or an illness comes into your life. And you know, those, are, those would be trials that come upon you from an external source. And then temptations, we tend to think of those as more of a, an internal source, like maybe a desire to eat more than we should, <laughs> and, or um, take something, a desire to take something that's not yours. You know, these, these are, are um, temptations to sin, right? These two concepts fit together because if we're in a trial, it is going to lead to temptation. It's going to lead to us being tempted to find a way out, maybe even a sinful way out, right? And if you give in to temptation, most likely it's going to lead you to a trial. And sometimes it's going to be a trial in a court of law, <laughs> depending on what you were tempted into doing, right? But both would be considered difficult situations. And that's kind of the, the layman's term for that word in, in Greek, is it just a difficult situation, a hard spot, okay? Um, and both of these, being in a difficult situation, leads us to choices. And you might say, what choices? Glad you asked, what choices? Well, let's say the trial was an unexpected tax bill. And then you figured out that if you could move some money, maybe change some ledgers and uh, lessen the damage to your account, you know, that would be a trial leading to a temptation, leading to a choice. Am I going to take the easy way out here or am I going to trust God that he's going to provide? Because God, God doesn't work in the, in the deception. He doesn't work in the, in, in the lies. He, he wants us to, to take the right way out. And that's what he shows us from his word. Um, and if you're, if you're being tempted, 
maybe to overspend on the new car that you've been shopping for and you come across this salesman that just happened to move down here from Alaska and he used to sell ice cubes to the Eskimos and now you know you're in trouble because he's going to sell you a car that's worth more than you can afford so here we go you've got a choice to make right so those are the choices that we make through our trials and temptations we have a choice to either honor God in our in our choices or take a lot of times the easy way out James starts out this letter by telling us that we uh, telling us that as we encounter these things we can consider it all joy and my hope is that as we dig farther into this letter we'll understand exactly why he says that and how how that plays out in our life let's look at verse 9 and back in James verse 9 let's read verse 9 through 11 again but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in humili humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, the, grass, the flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. At first glance, it looks like James is changing the subject on us but it's still in the context of the trials that he's talking about but he's talking in this instance he's talking about a specific trial the trial of being either poor and in need or the trial of being wealthy both of those how many of us realize that both of those can lead to trials and temptations the the writer of proverbs understood that turn in your bibles to proverbs chapter 30 The Bible has a lot to say to us about uh, money and its, its temptations, the temptations that we endure to either get money or the problems that it causes when we have too much. In Proverbs uh, chapter 30, looking at verse 7, 8, and 9, it says, Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty. It's interesting there in verse 8 that he says, keep deceptions and lies far from me. We're going to pick up on that again later in this section of, of uh, James. So verse 8 says, keep, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is my portion, that I might not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? or that I might not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So the issue for the poor man here is that he might be tempted to covet and steal, and the issue for the rich man would be that he would get proud and forget where his riches came from, where his wealth came from, because God has allowed him to be that way, allowed him to be wealthy, right? So as you read through the gospel, the different Gospels, when, when, I, when we say Gospels, we mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The, the four Gospels in the, the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As we read through those Gospels, um, Jesus is pretty hard on the wealthy folks a lot of times, and he seems to have a lot of mercy for the poor. Let's, let's look at a couple examples of this. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. It was hard to decide on, on 
where to go for these examples because the, the New Testament is full of examples of Jesus teaching with, uh, with money as kind of the catalyst for the teaching. In Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 27. This story is commonly known as the rich young ruler. I suppose I ought to get there myself. That's why I put these little yellow tabs in here. Um, verse 18, it says, A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, so that was Jesus' response. He, he went right to the heart. Um, it, it seems pretty clear that Jesus understood this young man's heart and he knew the pull that, that his wealth and his possessions had on him. And living here in the United States, we have so much more than so many other people do. You know, even the, those of us who would be considered the, the poorest in Peoria, Arizona, you know, you have cars and houses and things that, that a lot of the world doesn't have. So we can see how those things could become um, idols in our lives. And Pastor Dennis has talked to us, has taught us on that so many times, but it's one of those things we need to remind ourselves of to keep our material possessions in the right place and just have it all, hold it all with open hands to the Lord. This is this all yours, God, and do with it what you will. It's kind of like looking at a new, another building and moving. You know, it's not so that we can be a big glamorous church. It's so that we can minister to more people. That's and it's and it's all about it's all about Him and not about the the riches. Um, so. We see that part, and then if you look down, Peter kind of felt the need to remind the Lord just how much him and his companion, his companions had given up. To Let's read Peter's statement here in verse 28, where we stopped back in, in Luke 18, verse 28. Peter said, Behold, we've left our own homes and followed you. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or child for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times as much at this time, many times as much at this time, and in the age to come with eternal life. So Jesus reminds him, that Peter had to remind Jesus, that, well, wait a minute, we, we gave up. Well, I did skip a verse there too that I wanted to, sh that was very important. They, in verse 26 it said, they who heard this then said, how can we be saved? 
But Jesus said, these things are impossible with people, but they're possible with God. And that's, they were looking at how in the world are you going to get a camel through the eye of a needle? And that's, that's how impossible it was for, this, for the rich man to see the, you know, the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. So as they look at that, they're like, how, how in the world can anybody be saved if this, is, if this is the truth? And Jesus reminds them that all things are possible with God. He said that to somebody else too at one time. I believe it was a young girl named Mary who said it's impossible for me to be pregnant without a man. And he said, if you believe, all things are possible. So uh, that was uh, an example of a, of a rich person situation. Let's look at it. Um, so I've got one more comment on that. So is, is it even possible for a rich person to honor God? Have you ever met a rich person or a wealthy person that still loves God and serves God? Yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. We had the privilege one time um, when uh, my oldest boy, who's now 27, when he was five years old, we had a birthday party for him. And we invited some people from church that we hardly knew at the time. We were kind of new believers ourselves. And they came to our birthday party for, for Brandon, and we had a good time. And they called us a couple months later and said, well, Mark, Marky was his friend in church. That's why we invited them. They were both in the four-year-old class together and getting ready to turn five. So they invite us to go to Marky's birthday. Well, there's, and we're like, oh, yeah, we'd love to come. When is it? Well, it's this week. It's a couple weekends out. And we're like, okay. And they're like, but it's going to be at SeaWorld in San Diego. And we're like, um, you know, we don't really know you guys. Well, okay, but, uh, you know, I don't know, really feel like driving to SeaWorld for a five-year-old's birthday party. But they said, oh, well, before you say no, we, we, we're going to fly you guys over there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> for a five-year-old's birthday? And long story short, Marky's grandparents were very wealthy, and they had a private jet, which was like their minivan. So they invite us. We go to Deer Valley Airport and get, get in this private jet. And Grandpa's flying. He's the, he's the pilot. And we're, we're going to, to Disneyland with these people. Or not Disneyland, but SeaWorld. We spend the day with them there. And they had a relative that lived close to SeaWorld. And this is where it kind of ties back into our story. This guy who is a multimillionaire is playing with my son and his grandson. And one of them dropped his McDonald's toy down in this grate in the floor and this guy is down on his hands and knees with McDonald's straws that he's pushed together and his own chewing gum and he reaches down in there and he gets this toy out of there and I'm like this this guy is amazing and this this guy you know his he was such a blessing and as I get to know him find out him and his wife they live in Scottsdale they lead a home Bible study and they just adore the Lord and they they take what God has given them and they bless other people with it so it's, it's not impossible. <laughs> Jesus said all things are possible with God, right? So um, back to, let's flip just a few pages to the right in Luke. Stay in the Gospel of Luke and go to chapter 21. And we're going to look at maybe the other end of the spectrum. This story is commonly known as the widow's gift or the widow's might. It's... Uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And it says, And he looked and saw the rich, this is Jesus that we're talking about. Jesus looked and he saw 
the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw the poor widow putting her small copper, put in her small copper coins. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, the poor, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in. And, and that's all that she had to live on. So he sees on the other end of the spectrum this, this widow who barely had enough to live on, yet she, was, she saw the importance of giving to the Lord. As, as Christians, we might be able to see how living hand to mouth like that could be a blessing. You know, because remember, if you remember in the Old Testament when, when the manna fell from heaven, God made sure that you know, it, it only lasted for a day. <laughs> they, had to, they had to depend on God every day. And if you're living hand to mouth or paycheck to paycheck, you, know, you, know, you have a tendency to really spend more time on your knees asking the Lord to provide for you. But when you have your provision way up here, it's a little bit harder. And I think that's a, there's a challenge both ways. Um, there's a challenge on the, as, as the proverb tells us, there's, there's a challenge to, if you're too wealthy, to forget about God. Um, maybe the, for the poor, the temptation might be to steal something, or as the proverb suggests, or maybe some other different kind of shortcut. Like in, in our society, we see a lot of gambling, we see prostitution, we see um, drug, people selling drugs, people selling pornography. All of these are huge business in the United States today. And those are, you know, obviously sinful shortcuts that take poor people and convert them into rich people, right? <laughs> so, um, so let's just be clear here that we know, we understand that the Bible's not teaching that being poor is a virtue and being rich is a sin. Wealth and poverty are neutral. It's the choices that we make in both situations that can become a problem or a blessing. Even the Apostle Paul had to, had to learn this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, not, not that I speak from want, but I have learned. He says, I have learned. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, right? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, I am in. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going away hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in this passage, we have that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But right above that in context, we see Paul saying that he had to learn how to be content in both situations. And I love how he says, I have learned the secret. In verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret. What is the secret? The secret is in Christ. As we read through Paul's writing, he uses the two words together all the time, in Christ, in Christ. And that's the secret, you know, the being tied in to the vine. And in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, he talks about, Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing right? So here we have this contrast. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're, if we're tied into the vine, that's where we need to be. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but through me, you can do all things. 
So it, it all comes back to us being in Christ. So as we look at this whole topic of the, the rich versus the poor, we're all in the same boat. You know, the, and, and, he, and James kind of alludes to that. If you go back to James, he says the rich person you know, is like the flowers of the field and the grass, and they wither, it withers and falls off. And we see that metaphor throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where God compares our lives to a vapor. He compares us to the grass that's there today and gone tomorrow. And that our life is short. Pastor Dennis did a really cool illustration a few years ago, several years ago. I think we were still at Sierra Verde when he had that huge rope. And he had a huge rope that went all the way out the door and he just put a little piece of tape on it. And he's like, this is our life and this is eternity. And it went out the door where you couldn't even see it any farther. But that's kind of, we get so hung up in the 60, 70, 80 years that God gave us here on earth and we forget about eternal life. And that's where, you know, we're all heading to that same place of eternal life. Um, get back to my notes here. So before we move on from this section, I wanted to show you guys a, a different perspective. Uh, there's a Bible commentator named Albert Barnes, and he claims that this passage is talking about a poor man who suddenly became rich and a rich man who suddenly became poor. I had never heard that um, idea, but it, it was kind of interesting. He says it like this. He says, there's much religion in the world that will bear the ills of poverty, sickness, persecution, or that, or that will bear the temptations arising from prosperity and even affluence, which will not bear the transition from one to another. As there is many, as there is many a human frame that could become accustomed to bear either the steady heat of the equator or the, atten the intense cold of the north but that could not bear the rapid transition from one to the other. And it, it made me think you know, that if, if James is talking about that, as in the context of trials, it, it would be a trial either way. And we, you know, we have, you think about it, we have examples of that on both, in both situations. If, you, if somebody goes from being you know, poor or middle class to winning the lottery, and they end up with millions of dollars. How many of you guys have read or heard of the stories of just these people that end up, their families become train wrecks. They, you know, they, they end up anywhere from jail to you know, broke or in a homeless shelter, but they had millions of dollars. How did that happen? Because the, the money got a hold of them more than they got a hold of the money, right? And then on the other end of the, the spectrum, the, those who have a lot of money and then lose it suddenly. You know, when, we see, when we saw the stock market crash in 2008, there were people jumping out of windows because they were wealthy and then they weren't. And so I think that um, Alberts has a, has a good point here that those are, those are dangers that we can look for. Um, so where we find ourselves on the scale from rich to poor, no matter how we got there, the stumbling block of finances is a very real and constant danger. Remember, the Bible doesn't teach that money is the root of all evil, but it does say that the love of money is the root of all evil. That reference is in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where, Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves 
with many griefs. So it's not money that's evil itself, as we said before. It's the, it's the love of money. When money gets a hold of us, when our wealth, our possessions get a hold of us, or the lack of it gets a hold of us to where we covet. So this is the trial. In the midst of this trial, we can go back to verse 2 and consider it joy. Consider it God's doing something in that trial. God's doing something in our finances. Let's look at, move on, back to James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a sweet promise we have that we can cling to here in God's word. We see the same word again in, where it says under trial, who, or when it says persevere, that's that word hupomone, again, which means to be patient and and consistent and continuing not not idle but being patient with what god's bringing us through knowing that there's a good result it tells us in in psalm 84 that there's no good thing that god withholds from those who walk uprightly he he wants us to know that he's not holding back good when we when we're tempted to evil like we're reading here when we're tempted to when we're when, when we're in the midst of a trial that we had no control over is God wants to use it for good. He wants to use it to turn us to himself. Um, think about what it looks like, again, in a believer's life. You know, you may say to yourself, I'm weak and I'm struggling with the same things over and over again. But God, in Christ, clinging to the vine, abiding in him like we talked about, and walking through, yes, still going through the trials and the temptations, but never losing sight of the strength that we have available in him. He doesn't just leave us alone. He doesn't just put us in these trials and leave us alone to figure it out on our own. As, as pastor's been going through the book of Exodus, he had to keep reminding Moses over and over again, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. There was one point where he said, no, I'm not going to go with you. And that was, that was when Moses really should have panicked. But he, he did, you know, he, he worked it out. But God is with us. He is with us. And, and we have, you know, we're in a different place than Moses because the, Jesus said when he left, he said, I'm going to send a helper. And those of you who know who the helper is, the helper is the Holy Spirit. The, the, in Corinthians, it tells us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So the, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. When, when you become born again, when you get saved and you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he tells us that he will never, ever leave us or forsake us so we have the holy spirit dwelling within us and he will be with us always so as we cling to god through prayer and through church and through reading of his word he himself gives us the strength just like when what we've been learning from exodus how he was with moses he's with us but even more so he's dwelling within us the holy spirit dwells within us um he's not telling us to persevere here and then just walking away and saying, good luck, <laughs> you're going to need it because it's going to be tough. You know, God doesn't give us things, doesn't command us to do things and then not give us the strength to do it. We have, a, we have an un... Um, we have a, a reserve of strength in God's love and power through the Holy Spirit that we can never exhaust. We can never exhaust the, the love that God has for us and the power that He has for us to overcome the temptations 
Um, so if, if we were to try to do it on our own, we would end up in a never-ending cycle of frustration and even depression. So back, back to the verse 12. It says, um, once he has been approved. And as we look at that, you know, you might, it might as well say, once he has died. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has died, he will receive the crown of life. Because when does the, at what point do we get approved? At what point are we approved in, in the course of trials? You know, we're approved by God at salvation, but the trials don't end. And, and this blessing that he's talking about here is it's not salvation, it's, it's the crown of life that he's going to give us at the end of time. So as, at, at our judgment day, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This, we, we see this verse or this crown of life mentioned in two places in Scripture. And um, there's actually five crowns that are spoken of. This, but this crown of life is mentioned here and in Revelation 2.10. In both places, it's, it's given in the context of perseverance, the same context of what we're talking about here in the in revelation is talking to the church of smyrna where they were the persecuted church they were under extreme um persecution and having to endure to the end that's for him who endures to the end that the promise it's promised to those who love him and that's that's us as christians we have we have been born again we have placed our trust in god and we we love him so, um, verse, let's look at verse 13 through 15 in James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So he, we see this progression of sin in this, in this passage. He, the, we see it go from blame placement. <laughs> it's almost like the Lord, like James is defending the Lord. He's, in verse 13, he says, Let no one be tempted, um, or let no one say that I'm being tempted by God. And God's not the tempter of anyone. So we see that God is is not the one to blame here. Um, and then it goes from blame placement to entertaining our own lusts. Uh, whatever your you know, particular flavor of sin might be, we entertain that. And then as, as that thought progresses, it, um, we give in to the temptation. And then death is the eternal separation from God. And he's not not talking about that we're physically dying, our physical bodies, but we're dying in the, in the same way that Eve died. We have eternal separation. We're separated from God at that point. So, um, for, for your homework this week, I, I would challenge you to take these verses, and like, who's this, the substitute teachers giving us homework? What's going on here? Uh, take the verses 13 through 15 and go to the um, 
to the third chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and look at the progression of sin that led to the fall of man and compare it to this. And you'll see that that's, that's the way that we get into the place where we don't want to be. So compare that to Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve first sinned and you'll see that progression played out there as well. And then verse 16 of James, he says, Do not be deceived, beloved brethren. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He follows this progression of temptation to sin to death with a heartfelt warning for us looking out not to be deceived or misled. The reason that I say that it's heartfelt is because he, he changes, he addresses the letter to, the bre to my brethren, and here he's saying my beloved brethren. And I looked up the, the original word on that, it's, and it's agape, it's the, that unconditional love, it's that, that, it's that koinonia love, that, that love that, that is between brothers and sisters in Christ. So in verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So um, it doesn't, you don't have to... Um, it's kind of an obvious implication that someone is going to mislead us. But I remember when the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, and they asked him, you know, what is the signs of the end of the time? One of the first things that he said was, See to it that no one misleads you. So... James is warning us about being deceived. Jesus was warning us about being deceived. And how many of you believe that we're living in the end times? Right? We're pretty close. By all the signs, we're living in the end times. So um, we see this warning, and you might, you know, it's an obvious implication that someone or something is going to deceive us. And as we look at what the scripture teaches about spiritual warfare, we learn that the, we have three enemies. As believers, we have three enemies. We have the world, and the way that works is the, the world around us that doesn't know Christ is, is very enticing at times. We're sitting right here, and we have all these fancy cars in this car lot over here. You know, that's, that's the pull of the world, the pull of, of things, the pull of, of money, material power, um, those kind of ideas. And then, so that's one of our three enemies. The other one is our own flesh, okay? And the Bible calls that, that's our, you know, when we're born, we're born with a sinful nature. And that's our, that's our flesh. And when we become born again, we're a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the word nature, when we say our old sinful nature, the word nature means something that rules over you. We are no longer ruled by our sin nature, but we still have our flesh, right? Romans, if you read Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we're dead to that. We're dead to that flesh, or not the flesh, we're dead to that old nature. And he says in Romans 6 verse 12, it says, don't, don't let sin reign in your hearts. You're not under, we're under new management. We're not under that old flesh anymore. We are free. We're set free from that. But does, it, does that mean that we don't have that tension between our, our worldly desires, our earthly desires, and God? No, that's still there. But we don't have to let it reign. We're, we're operating 
from a place of victory. The victory was won at the cross. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he won. He said, it is finished. We don't, we don't have to submit to that anymore. We'd still do because of our weakness at a lot of times, but we don't have to because we're free. When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Uh, so, and then the last part of the, the enemy that we have to deal with is the devil himself, the deceitfulness. He gets blamed for a lot of stuff. The devil made me do it, um, but he, he is definitely involved. The deceitfulness of the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober of spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, whom, seeking someone to devour. We are definitely in a spiritual battle, and the Bible is very helpful in exposing who our enemy is. When we go as a country, when we go into battle with another country, we kind of want to know what we're up against, right? If we're going to go up against uh, um, you know, China or Russia, we kind of want to know what they've got in store for us. Well, as Christians, you know, we're not supposed to um, focus all of our time and energy on, on the devil and the world and our own flesh, but we are supposed to be um, aware of what's going on so that we know how to combat the enemy. And God has given it in... in um, Ephesians chapter 6, we have the armor of God. He's given us everything we need to stand firm in our relationship or stand firm in the battle because we're all in the battle. Um, let's go back to James and look at verse 17. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. We can tie this back to verse 13. It says, Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. We used to say at the beginning of the announcements on Sunday mornings, God is good, and all the time, and all the time, God is good, right? God is good. You know, He is, you know, as we said earlier in Psalm 84, He says there's no good thing that He withholds from those who walk uprightly. God is good. And I love this verse because it says there's no, there's no variation, there's no shifting shadow. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he doesn't change. He doesn't have good days and bad days. All his days are good because he's perfect in, in every way. Um, and the even, so how does that tie in? If God is good and he is perfect, how does that tie in to what we're talking about here as far as trials and temptations and struggles? And even in the midst of that, that it's good. Um, he, he, in the midst of our struggles, God can do things that are good. We saw it at the end of Joseph's life, one of the things that he said to his brothers, the things that you meant for evil, which caused him a lot of struggle, if you remember, uh, a lot of struggle. He, he said the things that you meant for evil, God used them for good. And in our struggles, there's, there's good that comes from our struggles. And um, if you think about, you know, I heard the story of, of a little boy who was probably 10 years old, and he saw a cocoon for a butterfly, and he could see that the butterfly was starting to emerge from the cocoon. 
So he decided to, to take the cocoon and put it on his desk and he opened it up and he let the butterfly out and the butterfly died. The butterfly laid there and died. So the next day when he went to his science teacher at school, he said, you know, this is what happened and I don't, I don't understand why the butterfly died. I was helping him and, he, and the science teacher informed him. He said the, the cocoon is designed with a purpose. So the struggle that the, that the butterfly goes through to get out of the cocoon strengthens his wings and it squeezes off the liquid that's on his body from the, from the process of going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And so the kid was like, you know, light bulb. But that's an analogy of what our struggles are like. We, there's a purpose in the pain. God doesn't waste the pain that he allows in, his, in our lives. And I don't say that lightly because I look around at the faces here at church and I know what some of you guys are going through. I know that we've lost a lot of loved ones in the last three or four years. We've lost five or six loved ones right here in our little congregation. Kids. People have lost kids. People have lost parents. People have lost spouses. And these kind of trials are not, they're not something where you say, oh, well, let's just count it all joy. It's all good, right? God's working together for the good. It is, but it doesn't make it easy. And in the midst of the struggle, the, what we need to know, what you need to know, is God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he never is, his intention is for your good. The enemy's intention is to destroy you. But God's intention is for your good. And he can take these trials. Um, I think of the parents that are in our congregation that have lost children. And there's two or three sets of parents here that have. And I've seen them already comforting others who have lost their children. In, first, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, you've been comforted with the comfort from God so that you can comfort others with that same comfort. And that's, you know, that's how the body of Christ works. That's how God works. He loves us. Even in the midst of these trials, we can look at them, at, not as good things, but we can look at them through His eyes. Okay? And I'm going to close with this. I believe I'm out of time. Um, maybe you're hearing this today. And you're thinking to yourself, I've tried all this. I've tried church. I've tried reading my Bible. I've tried praying. And the sin just keeps creeping back into my life. And I can't seem to get past my temptations. And it could be whatever the temptations are. I don't, I don't know what your struggle is, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. That you, whatever your temptation is that you can't get past, maybe you're missing a vital in ingredient there's a vital ingredient to this struggle we had a friend that uh, was leading a women's bible study and she made pumpkin pie for everybody at the bible study and she forgot a vital ingredient she forgot to put sugar in the pumpkin pie <laughs> if you've ever tasted pumpkin pie without sugar in it it is it is really nasty and she was you know being the good hostess she decided you know she wasn't going to eat hers until everybody else had sat down and started eating theirs and all these women are asking, can we get some more whipped cream? You know, can we get... And she sits down, takes one bite of it, spits it out, and starts yelling at all the ladies for, for not telling her how terrible it was. But she missed a vital ingredient. She needed that sugar. And the vital ingredient that you might be missing in, in your walk is faith. Um, faith is simply believing God. Uh, that He does love you. And that he's with you in the middle of your pain. He, he even promises 
to show us a way out of these temptations in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But um, Paul says that without this ingredient of faith, he says it's impossible to please God, but he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So where do we get this ingredient? We get it, what Romans 10, 17 tells us, by, uh, we, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We get it from God's word. God gives us our faith. He, he is the one that generates faith. Um, Jesus came to a, a man that was in the midst of the trial of his life. His son was demon-possessed and kept throwing himself into the fire and into the water trying to kill himself. And he had asked the disciples to help him and they were unable to help him. And in Mark chapter 9, the, the father says, it's, it's often that he's often thrown him both in the fire and in the water to destroy him. And he, he says to Jesus, he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response was, if I can, if I can do anything. And he says, all things are possible for him who believes. He, he was looking for that point of belief. And then the father's response was, I do believe, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus cast the demon out at that point. It was at the point of his belief, at the point of him believing in God. And maybe um, you're here this morning and you believe in God. There's a scripture that says that we, they believed in God, but they denied his power. Maybe you're believing, but you're, you're unbelieving. There's such thing as a believing unbeliever. You've put your faith and trust in Christ, but you're, you're not trusting him for the trial that you're in. You're born again, but you're not, putting your, you're not putting your faith and trust in him. So my encouragement for you this morning is that you would do that, that you would say, Lord, I surrender. He's not looking for you to roll up your sleeves and do the work of the ministry on your own do the work of whatever it is that he's put before you he's looking at you to throw up your hands and say i can't do this i cannot do this on my own i need you i need you because apart from you i can do nothing right let's pray worship team if you need prayer this morning after service come see me come see pastor dave larry any any of the ladies that are up here and we would love to pray with you Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you once again for your word. I pray that you would take the words that were spoken today, the scriptures that were read, the message that was, was presented, Lord, and I pray you would make sense of it in our hearts so that we could see our way to change, that we could see our way to that vine, that we would be tapped in to the nutrients that we need from you because apart from you as we said we can do nothing so lord i pray for every soul that's in here this morning if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you that hasn't put their faith and trust in you as their lord and savior i pray that today would be the day your word tells us today is the day of salvation if you hear these words listen those who have ears to hear let them hear what the spirit says so I pray this and ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.